Hello, story seekers. I'm Nico. I'm Ben, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. Joining us, we have a multi-talented man, known in part for his turn as Latimer the Butler on the Tea and Jeopardy podcast, which he also co-wrote. On top of that, he is the award-winning author of the Vagrant series and the Deathless series, all of which are available now. We'd like to welcome Peter Newman. Hello again, Peter. Hello again. <laughs> Something of a deja vu moment. Yes. We, we uh, must stop meeting like this, etc. <laughs> <laughs> So, for the listener, yeah, it's day, the feeling none of this shit has happened before. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we have, of course, uh, done this recording um, before. And then due to a technical glitch, as those who follow us will know, uh, the the recording... Um, uh, what's the best word for it? Uh, disappeared. Hit the bed. Hit the, hit the bed, something <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, Peter has very kindly agreed to come back on and talk to us again which is just above and beyond so thanks very much for coming back peter you're welcome i'm going to call it a win for our personalities in general it that's right it's just because you're so damn charming there we go. Oh, Nico, oh. i couldn't resist it i was like oh, of course it's also that you know when you've written a story for a podcast it seems a shame not to <laughs> yeah, let people hear it yeah well on that we will uh we'll probably jump straight in because the listeners from last week will have heard the stories that we originally um recorded with you but um obviously they haven't heard yours yet so the prompt for this this episode was the handshake wait was it the handshake yes it was was it? It, yes <laughs> it was the handshake yes um so yes the prompt was the handshake and uh peter's got a story for you yeah so this is going to be the greatest and best reading in the world <laughs> tribute <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yes, this is the handshake. Here we go. In our multitudes, we march. We march in pairs, scattered casually across ruddy canyons, an army of twos. I am one half of one of those pairs, marching alongside my mirror. My mirror and I were born together, grown from the same union, linked by history and blood. Now we walk together one last time. I turn my head to look at him, to steal a glance, but he is looking right at me and it is too much. I look down, away from his questing eyes. I know if I meet them, he will speak, but there is nothing else to say. I try not to hear his indrawn breath being expelled as a wordless sigh. I try not to hear anything at all. Just put one foot in front of the other. The ground beneath my feet is pockmarked, soft and warm. It is quiet for now, but somewhere far behind us, a great wave is building, deep under the earth. Soon it will come, and others will follow, and then we will know that it is time. Our ancestors used to live beneath the ground, where the great waves are, swimming through subterranean rivers, rich with life and danger. They made their journeys under the path I now walk, generation after generation. They were not welcome here any more than we are. 
Every day was a battle, a struggle against the tides and the weapons of the enemy. They endured the darkest times, when the enemy wrapped its soldiers in blazing armour that turned our bodies to ash. We could not touch them, and we could not spread. And so, in our millions, we perished. Generations of us, starving, waning, until our ancestors came to the brink of eradication. But the enemy were arrogant. They thought themselves immune and turned their gaze to other things. And so our ancestors held on, gasping through the ages until the great mutation, when we rose from the rivers and surged forth anew. We survivors take those hard-won lessons and pass them forward. My own lessons are carved into my skin. The scars are a harsh crisscrossing of lines, puckered valleys of anger, so white I could imagine them glowing in the dark. Each is a message, a tale of near destruction that became triumph. Now, when those same enemies strike at me, my body remembers. It adapts. Their weapons, once so dangerous, are as familiar now as the tender touch of my mirror. Their fire, which once burned so horribly, is easily sheathed within my wounds and put away. Harmless. My feet begin to tingle. The next wave is coming, and this time I can't resist looking at my mirror, who nods in agreement. He feels it too. Just as he is about to speak, there is a surge of heat beneath our toes, accompanied with a gentle pressing of the ground as it undulates, lifting, stretching to kiss the arch of my foot. I begin to march faster. My mirror marches faster. The other pairs all around us march faster, all joined in purpose. I both love and hate the feeling. We have been building to this all of our lives, and we are ready. I know this with the truth of my body. It is right, and it is time, and it is what will happen. But I hate it. I feel myself swept on the tide of genetic destiny, and I feel my mirror and the other twins all around me, and the path through the canyons, red as the dying sun, and the coming of the other and our inevitable meeting. And the more I feel them, the less I feel myself. It scares me. I do not want to be lost in the coming storm. My mirror knows this about me, but we never speak of it. I wonder sometimes if he also feels as I do. We share everything else after all. But I never see it on his face. And though he talks often, oh, how my mirror loves to talk. He has never spoken to me of fear. And I know that now, he never will. Another surge of heat comes from below, and with it, the sense of so much movement, my mind cannot tell what is me and what is not. For I am moving, and my mirror is moving, and the others move around us, and the ground is moving underfoot, and I feel the sensation of a greater movement through the lurching of my belly. And then I sense yet another movement far above, 
An alien wind blows across my face, and a shadow falls across us, vast and complete as night. And I look up, and I, and I see, and I see a great island in the sky, and I see a great island in the sky sprouting five huge peninsula, each tipped with ivory cliffs. And I see a great island in the sky, sprouting five huge peninsula, each tipped with ivory cliffs, and it is coming towards us, not slowly, like a thing of its size should do, but fast and with predatory purpose. We are running now, under the shadow of that island, all of us, uphill, towards the top of the canyon, I realise I have been running for some time, my mirror alongside. He wants to take my hand. I know this, but he does not, because we have said our goodbyes already and have our own journeys to make. The great island is turning as it approaches, the huge peninsula stacking up, one atop the other. They draw together, all save one, closing the gaps until they touch, to make one vertical wall of unfathomable size. All save that last huge peninsula, which is the highest of the five. It stands proudly apart, pointing straight up towards the sun. Beneath my feet, the pulses come thick and fast, gentle, but less gentle than before. The subterranean rivers surge, swelling the tunnels under the ground until they bulge visibly from the canyon's floor. The great island descends from the sky to line up alongside, dropping down and down until the top of the unfathomable wall is level with us. I see it swing towards me with shocking speed. My mirror braces himself, crouching down and gripping the earth firmly. I know that he wants to take my hand. I know that he wants to speak final words to me. I keep running and do not look at him. There is nothing else to say. The great island crashes into ours and I spread my arms. I hear the sound of slapping thunder and feel the shockwave ripple through the ground and air. It lifts me skywards, and I am flying with my half of the others, a rain of severed twins arcing up and then down. I see a mirrored rain rising up to meet us from the great island, a horde of faces flashing past. I do not look at them, but I sense a few of them look at me. I wonder what they think in those moments. Do they see my fixed stare? and think me determined? Do they see the fear that lurks beneath? The great island is more red than my own. As I streak down towards it, I'm struck by how scorched it looks, how raw. A forest of blonde pillars cover its surface, each one curving gracefully, so unlike the grey pillars of my old home. I land, the first of many on this alien shore. I feel the pain in my legs, 
my knees, but they do not break. It is good to stand up, to know that I have carried my lessons here safely. Behind me, I hear more arrivals pattering down. Some do not land well. Some do not stand up. I do not look at them. I do not speak. My attention is on the land ahead and the native people waiting there. They are crouched down as my mirror was crouched down. Like him, they have waited, sending those they love to a strange land. I see them stand and race towards us. I take in the ones closest to me, studying their sprinting bodies with intensity. Each one has his own network of scars, his own knowledge of the enemy. I look for one that is the opposite of my mirror, the one that is most unlike me. And I run towards him, waving my hands and screaming until he notices me. I watch his eyes rove my body and feel a touch of pride as he nods. He sees my value just as I see his. I keep my face impassive. I do not want him to know that I am afraid of losing myself and that my fear is getting stronger with every step. If he realises, he might reject me. I wonder if he is afraid. I hope he is not. I do not want our children to have my fear. Perhaps his courage will kill it. Perhaps my fear will kill his courage. Let that not be. I want our children to mutate and rise strong. I want them to go together into the dark beneath this great island, where the hot rivers flow and do glorious battle with the enemy. I want them to spread and multiply across this great island and to a thousand thousand others. I want this and at the same time I do not want to die. Suddenly I wish I had spoken to my mirror one last time. What if there was more to say? Just because I couldn't think of anything doesn't mean he couldn't. I want to go back. I want to go back! But I go forwards. I open my arms, displaying my many scars. He opens his arms, displaying his many scars. They are so strange to me. My desire to feel them dampens my fear. I go forwards into his embrace. He wraps his arms around me, and I wrap mine around him, tight. Our chests press together, and our scars press together. My ribs grind against his until they begin to bend. The membrane of our skin ripples where we touch, thinning as we squeeze, thinning and thinning until finally it ruptures. And then I know him, and he knows me, and I am not me, and he is not him, and I am not afraid. Wonderfully read again. Least report, just as good the second time.
definitely. <laughs> yeah. Also, so the the listeners currently don't have the context, but with the context, knowing what the story is truly about, it's somehow creepier. <laughs> the second time. Well, yeah. If we can get additional creep in, then that's a win. I didn't get creepy. I got sad the second time. Did you? Yeah. No. So I. But having said that, though, so last the last time that we recorded this, um, it was the first time that Nico and I had heard it, and we both got kind of itchy feeling about like as if the story was about like head lice or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously afterwards we spoke about how it's actually uh, COVID being passed in a handshake. Um, yeah, and I, I still got the itchy feeling. I don't know whether I just need to go and see a dermatologist or something, but it's... Well, I think the thing is, is that they're on top of the skin and they're, yeah. they're crawling across the skin of someone's hand. So that's probably what what that that is about. I think um, you're probably right, yeah. But there's some wonderful language in there, like for, even from like really early on, the uh, the tide of genetic destiny was a particularly ostentatious line for me. I like that a lot. Thank you. Um, the... Um, and the description of the hands, the uh, these sort of tip, tip peninsula with the uh, tips of the ivory, ivory cliffs, I think is the yeah is the line. Um, it really conjured a feeling of almost like an impending natural disaster. It's sort of what I would imagine someone would you know, looking up at seeing a volcano exploding, just realize knowing that they're already dead. Yeah, but there's no way to get out. Um, Which it's on such a scale. It's like one one of those movies, like twenty twelve. Yes, when like everything is crashing together. We don't have a word yeah. for that kind of natural disaster. Well, apart no. from apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. And it's uh, which is got... an excellent thing to inject about a into a story about a pandemic that. Did. Being the handshake and thinking about what, you know, what kind of story to tell and what kind of came to mind. And I imagine you both went through that same process. Yeah. Because there's like the sort of security handshake that you get. Yeah. Um, in terms of kind of technological security. Yeah. Yes. And then there's handshakes like sealing deals or being greetings and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. But I think there was something in my mind about the kind of the news over the past few years about how, you know, you couldn't shake people's hands. No. And that it was, it you know, the advice was not to do that. And of course, some of our politicians didn't feel that advice applied to them <laughs> and then immediately kind of spread it. But also in our, in our current climate, in terms of COVID in this country, um, it feels a bit like it's just not being spoken about by by kind of government at the moment in any kind of meaningful way almost yeah. like well are we just going to ignore it now and yeah. i kind of like this idea of a future where we've done that and our kind of that that there's there is a point where covid has overcome the vaccine yes. because of that and is now it's like covid to the return and these are like the children of the original covid that have come back to you know wreak havoc that's i think that's the the sense of that uh disaster like pulling closer for the reader as well isn't it which yeah, it feels implacable in your story. Um, yeah, because of course uh, the enemy is us. Yeah, in the in the story, but, isn't it uh, always? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, and then also, I thought that the 
that it, it almost becomes prayer-like when the the sort of main main character is discussing what they want from the reproduction or whatever. Um, mm. it, it's filled with like, I, I want this to happen. I want, I don't want them to inherit this. And if that, mm. it suddenly gets very human where you're like, Oh, where you have like anxiety about, are your children going to take on all your flaws and none of your, none of your sort of positive aspects. Yeah, it's interesting well, that because we've we have a real history by not the podcast but people of giving anthropomorphic qualities to weaknesses, mm. and it's always as the, like the boogeyman, like making them a strange sort of bespeckled villain that's going to come and get you. So to to actually humanize them in that way is a really cool move. Very cool. It's it's a little bit on brand for me in that humanizing monsters is something I just find very hard to resist doing. Yeah, that's wicked. Did you did you sort of immediately feel that that was what you were going to do with the prompt? Because I'm I'm fairly sure people that listen to the podcast know, but what we do is we we put together a selection of prompts and then the guest chooses. And in this case, you chose handshake. Did you already sort of have a concept of what you might go for, or did it just draw you in for another reason? Uh, I think when you gave me the original selection of prompts. And off the top of my head, I can't remember what the other two prompts were now. The handshake was the one that had the most possibilities to it. Sure. Um, and this was, yeah, this was one of the early ideas that I I kind of came up with. And, and it was the one that stuck with me. That's the, the I could stick with you. That's the, that's the word, isn't it? Sometimes an idea just sticks with you about a story. and You've got to just go that way. Yeah, I had various thoughts about, you know, that thing where you don't want to shake someone's hand and you kind of have to. Mm. And are you going to do it or not? Whether that was a thing, or the thing where the the, the kind of the, the handshake is the ceiling of the deal, and it'd be like a devil's bargain, or those kinds mm. of stories. But I think the reason I didn't go with one of those was that I was thinking, well, I didn't know. Obviously, I didn't know what you two were going to do for your stories, but I was pretty confident you weren't going to do this story. Mm. So I thought <laughs> I'll go, I'll go with this because you know, there's always that thing that if you if you've had the same inspiration from a prompt that can be i mean it can be really fun but it can also be a bit weird if you're it's, kind of telling the same story so, uh, we're you know four seasons in at this stage and no one has ever turned up with the same with any we're even close to being the same story really mm. um which is fantastic and possibly that's to do with the you know people deliberately trying to think about what other people might write and stuff um but also it's just whatever happens to latch on in your brain in your creative mind um, just the, all this talk of handshakes just rem- reminds me of that period where everyone was tapping elbows. Yeah, in sort of like a sort of joking way, and then we all got locked inside for a year. <laughs> <laughs> there was a uh, a period when all the newspapers. So there was a real worry that the you know the cheek to cheek kiss culture mm. in France yeah. that that that's already dying out, and this could be the death knell of it. Mm-hmm. And obviously. Certain papers in the UK like to get little bits of information and sort of inflate them. And there was this, it was probably only a week that some of the papers were, the handshake is going to disappear. This is a theft of civil liberty. What kind of world can't a a white man shake another (laughs) white man's hand in order to stop immigrants getting in? And you're like, whoa, how did we get here from The trick is not to listen to those I oh god! I absolutely. I I'm glad that we get to put a beep in the podcast, yeah. and also, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just absolutely fascinated, and you, I just got thrown right back to that moment when, because 
I got stuck in a loop of checking the news every day because it's COVID. And then I realised that, well, the news every day is that there's COVID. <laughs> and I need to stop looking at this increasing yeah. number of poor dead people who I will never get to meet or hear yeah. the life story of and, you know, sort of look outwards. And then I came back to check on the news after like maybe a week. And it was, yeah, that the, the handshake is being stolen as a gesture and... Then obviously you've got all these. Com I always go to the comments on these mental news stories. God, man, what are you doing? To, because it's so funny to see people say, "Well, you know, obviously the government want to take away handshakes because they don't want small businesses to work with each <laughs> other." Just <laughs> absolutely unreal. Oh, for fuck's sake! Right, that's just ridiculous. Isn't it? Remember, question everything apart from the conspiracy they've just told you when they've told you to question everything. <laughs> that's the rule. I, I do think there's this thing where. In, you know, in polite company, there's a lot of things that people will just not say or they wouldn't risk saying. But on the internet, that filter is gone. Oh, and gotcha. so therefore you get a kind of a a from the hip, ill-considered, sort of shockingly raw expression of humanity from all sides, you know, on the internet and um, in comment sections in particular. And they, I think they are, they, you know, however scary we try and make our stories, they are not as scary as like a YouTube's comment section or a Reddit <laughs> comment section. Anyway. Absolutely. We can't, we can't really get close to that. That is true horror, I think. If it's I had... Remarkable, like, on the most inane of videos, someone will be calling jihad in the fucking comments or something. Oh, gotcha. It's ridiculous. If I had Bezos money, right, I would be finding people who had arguments in comment sections that were like really vitriolic towards each other and then buying them plane tickets to put them in a room and make them have that conversation in person <laughs> here's your scripts here's how the conversation starts guys i think actually that could be a very successful tv show <laughs> where every episode is bringing a couple of these people together and having them reenact their argument and or they just they have to like read the script of the, their comment argument yeah. and then talk afterwards and see like can they resolve it or whatever look that person in the eyes and yeah. say whatever horrible thing they said yeah i think i think you're onto a winner that that could make serious money i think well the good thing is we don't broadcast this so i get to keep that idea for myself <laughs> <laughs> can we uh can we add a bit to the end of it where they then have to like perform like get through a maze together or something like like some kind sure. of sure i thought you were gonna say what the fuck I think that's a very different show, um, <laughs> but probably also a very successful one. Probably wouldn't get yeah. as much funding. Just make them do the crystal maze together. Yeah, but, they, but they'd have to, you know, obviously be really snippy with each other for the whole time. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Typical lefty, can't do logic puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try, just agenderizing everything, even though it's puzzles. <laughs> oh, Aren't you oh. glad you came back, Peter? <laughs> I'm thrilled. <laughs> Uh, right. Let's uh, let's uh, bombard you with more questions. So, Peter okay. has already answered, as as I'm sure you're all well well aware by this point, he's already answered a whole bunch of questions from us. So we're not going to give him the same questions again. We're going to mix it up and uh, uh, ask some new ones. So, first one: What's the last book you finished? Um, oh, now that's a harder to answer question than I would think because I've got to scan back a few books now because I yeah. didn't, I suppose the first book, that the most recent book that I finished is um, 
the first book of the Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe, I think, uh, which is uh, quite an old uh, mm. fantasy, well, it's a series. Uh, the reason I nearly didn't mention it is because it's actually two books joined to one. I haven't finished the second one yet. A, that still counts. I think that's but it fine. still counts because I've effectively yeah. read the first book. Because back in the day, you could write very slim fancy novels and people didn't throw things at you. Um, <laughs> Has that happened to you? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, today and, and please if you're out there listening i don't that's not a thing i want to happen so don't don't <laughs> throw things not. at me um but yeah that's it's a, that's a good length view of a fantasy novel now like for a modern fantasy novel both as a writer mm, do you mean to write or to read uh, both are they different answers potentially because if i have to write it i'd rather it be shorter but <laughs> if if um if i was so funny enough, in terms of writing a, a novel length, I think I fall, most of my books fall to around somewhere in the region of 120,000 words-ish. Okay. Um, which by fantasy standards is still quite lean. You know, a lot of fantasy novels are, are probably more like 150, 200,000 words, you know, when you're getting to those, those chunky ones. And is that um, number that's coming from the publisher where they're like, don't... No, no, it? not specifically. I mean, I, I think there is a thing about... It's a, it's a, I think it's a feeling thing in a way, you know, as well, that you can read a book and feel like it's too short or feel like it's too long. But yeah. I think that's in part to do with the writing and, and other things. Um, but no, I've not been told, oh, you must add 10,000 words because otherwise it's not a fantasy novel. No and, then people, and, and people will throw things at you. That's sort of like a... Yes, and <laughs> yeah. heaven forbid that happened. Yeah. Um, but no, this was was much sort of more slender. Um, but it's... it's it's always really interesting, I think, reading books of a genre that you read a lot of, but from another era. Just because uh, sometimes they just it makes you it makes me, I should say, appreciate in a way how much things have changed, um, and and also kind of what's what things are interesting or you know prevalent at the time. So this particular book is quite it's got a kind of a, a lot of really fun high concept stuff involving like multiple worlds and really uh, but what's also interesting is it it jumps medium so there's a section in the book that is like the protagonist is telling another character a story from a book he's picked up and then we cut to the story that oh, he's like reading that. as like a section a, it's a what's that a paratext i think or a metatext i think and or then just... there's a there's another bit where the characters that the protagonist is traveling is traveling with some like performers and they do a play at one point and you get the play written like a script oh, as in you cool. get the script of the play cool. now i which i think is maybe for me less impactful or successful whereas i thought the story within a story was very effective i think i can see that like the the because obviously looking at a script it's not very appealing it doesn't jump off the page very easily I think um, it's just a, it's a more of a jarring experience. Sure. Because it's not that the character says, please read my script, his script. It's just, they do the play and then you get the script. But it is quite interesting. You know, I mean, I, so I, I think it is full of really interesting ideas and, and, and ways of doing things. Um, and, uh, and it's extremely creative. And, and it was a, you know, there was a lot of books in this series. I think it was very successful. And there was some really cool stuff in there, including some, 
I think one of the things that measures people in terms of their fantasy skill is how what kind of cool names do you give your weapons in in this story? And and this is definitely a it's good book from that point of view. Um, Any particularly good weapons? Oh, see, now you're going to ask me if I can actually remember the name of the sword that I thought was really cool. Naming swords is an absolute pain in the backside. But it's also like a really it, j- it just doesn't get done now, right? Like. I don't know. I, th- I suspect there'll be like in your podcast comments there'll be a fiore of like, what about all these sword names? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, as a as a fellow role player, have you had the thing when you get the special sword for your character after loads of RP and say, and what will you name your blade? And your improv mind just goes completely blank, and you know a little light flashes on that just says glamdring repeatedly, and you're like, no, I can't, I can't say that. That's that's someone else's. <laughs> I feel like if my character in a role playing game has spent an extremely amount, long amount of time, both in the game and out of the game, questing to get a super magical sword that I finally get, and the GM hasn't even bothered to name the sword, <laughs> oh, I feel cheated. There was uh, I know years and years ago, Nick ran a um, a comedy D and D which involved it's got to be said a huge amount of phalluses. Like so many penises. Is this is confessional. There, was, there was a uh, a phallic a phallic planar dimension, wasn't there? It, yeah, everything was made of penises. It was very. It was. It was funny, but also we were sort of worried. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think you should be concerned yeah. and maybe take some notes. But beat uh, their doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember that you. Uh, I think you named the the sword for my character, Chili Con Carnage. <laughs> I did do that. <laughs> it stuck with me a little bit. So there we go. Um, yeah, that's, I, I like that. I, I think Gene Wolfe has come up before on the podcast, um, so which makes sense because I think we have had a lot of people that are very into fantasy and science fiction. Um, I can't say I've ever read any. I don't quite know why. It's a bit of a strange... I, I think probably because there's like a billion books out there to read and, you know, it was written a long time ago. I do... So I think I mentioned when I was on here last time that one of my favourite authors is uh, of when I was growing up as a teenager was Roger Zelazny. Yeah. And one of the things about his books was just how fast-paced but also creative they were. Um, and just the the, the 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 range of ideas just felt really exciting. And it's that in, in certainly the books that I first encountered of his that were the, the Chronicles of Amber, which I won't spoiler if anyone's not read them, but there's a thing where the protagonist wakes up in a pretty normal situation and it just keeps flipping and getting more and more weird as each time, you know, and, uh, and that kind of escalation is really, really fun to, to experience. It's, it sounds fantastic. The, uh, we, we, we actually went quite deep into the, uh, the various, um, uh, foibles of fantasy literature last time I seem to recall, but, uh, unfortunately that is lost None to time. Will ever hear it. <laughs> it was great though. Trust us. Oh yeah, it was oh, so brilliant. good. I mean, oh man, we were on fire. <laughs> Honestly, the the feedback we would have got. Oh yeah, they would have been. Mm. The, the, that would have been a really truly great comment section to read. I mean, the letter that Stephen Fry was going to send us begging to come on. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So just because my view through your window isn't great from this tree, Peter, uh, other than a book. What lives on your nightstand? And feel free um, to refuse to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a breach of my personal. Yeah. Um, no, I've, 
apart from books, well, I don't know. There's that. I assume you mean that literally. Like, what is by my bed? On, um, got, I mean, apart from a picture I, I, of Nico, yeah, there is. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a kind of cool rocket, um, which is sort of. It's made of. Uh, I, I say I'm not being. It's not a euphemism. It's, uh, <laughs> but it, which has sort of got stars on it, and it's it's made of. Don't, I don't even know. I think it's made of foam, but it's been sprayed, and it's um yeah, it's like a black rocket with like the stars, uh, and nebula sprayed on it, which I quite like. And actually, that is about in terms of literally by my bed. There's a coaster, and whatever I'm reading, and that's about it. That's. Sounds like you're doing a very good job not to keep it cluttered. Mine's yeah, it sounds nicely organised. I'm not. I'm not a fan of clutter, if I'm honest. Um, I'm a bit minimalist. I think that's okay. Um, it's not I'm a, a good full thing to be a fan collector. Of yeah. <laughs> um, Just love stuff. Was the was the rocket a gift? It was a. Um, Now, this is really tragic that I can't remember because it was long enough ago, but it was, my memory is it was something connected to the Hugos from some years ago. That's why I think I've got it. Oh, no. um, oh, that's... It's, uh, it's, it's actually quite a nice symbol to have by your bed as a, as a writer, perhaps, you know, especially one who, who's so in love with um, big creative ideas and uh, ways to tell stories and stuff. It's quite, the yeah. symbolism so... of the rock is quite strong, isn't it? One of the other things, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen now, so don't at me in the comments, but certainly was a, was I felt a, a feature of a lot of older fantasy writers back in the day um, is that fusion of kind of science fiction and fantasy. And it felt to me like there was less of a divide between the two, yeah. you know, um, and that a lot of writers would just breeze merrily between those genres. And in, in a sense that they were just one genre that you could just have fun with in the same story. Yeah. Um, and certainly, like things like the Vagrant is very much in that in that wheelhouse. You know that that there are kind of there is technology and things like that. They're also really weird magical things as well, and and everything in between. So it's uh, I I I was trying to remember the name of it, but um, I I, ha I had an example in my mind of the thing that you're talking about where um, it starts. This particular short story starts as a. It's, it's quite famous. And I'm going to kick myself after we finish recording. Whenever I remember it. <laughs> you but edit it, it back in, look really smooth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it starts as like a. There's like a this really cool Amazonian warrior type person, and she is in a very difficult situation in a very fantasy context, and then she basically the story turns at the end where she just gets beamed aboard a spaceship. Spaceship. Right, right. Um, and then it just. And it, it blew my mind the first time I read it because I was just like, "This is you're not allowed to do that. Can we do yeah. that?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like what you're talking about there is Wonder Woman. Yeah, <laughs> well, it wasn't, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think it may have been pre Wonder Woman. Well, actually, when was Wonder Woman? When did that oh, start? It's time for Google. It's quite old, isn't it? I would have thought. For this to work, though, I'd need to know what the story is that I'm citing so that we. Can yeah, actually... I mean, yeah, it's, it's all right. Nick, I'll edit all in afterwards. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman was introduced in 1941. Crikey. But when was the short story written? Yeah, well, I'm going to say... 1942. 1942. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wicked. So, um, when you are reading for 
leisure, sort of just mm. like pleasure reading and stuff. Do you are you a sprint to the end type of reader, or do you deliberately stroll through books to sort of absorb everything, or are you just are you trying to get as many books read as you possibly can? No, goodness, no. So I I don't have any kind of like I know there are some people who are like you know I've got my reading target is hundred books a year or whatever it is. No, I just read until I finished a book and then I get another book. Um, there is a thing where if a book has gripped me. I might have to obsessively finish it. Um, but normally, no, I d I'm not. I'm not normally like skipping through to get to the end, but I guess at the risk of being the most boring person on the planet, neither am I sitting, you know, and, and savoring every word that I read. I just just read the books. Just just reading it quite happily. Just, not, I can vibe with that. Yeah. Read it for pleasure. Finish it. Pick up a new book. Do you are you one of the people who, like myself, will accidentally read until five o'clock in the morning, or are you able to have you know a modicum of self control? Um, I think it depends. So there are there are some times where a particular like I'll feel like I want to either finish a book or finish some section of a book because I kind of need to know what happens or need to see what the what the conclusion is going to be. Um. But it's, but it's very rare that I'll read till super late. At least in part because I'm old, and <laughs> uh, and five in the morning. Whew, very rare that I see five in the morning these days, unless it's when I've woken up. Absolutely, <laughs> That's so bleak. <laughs> well, do you know. You, do you think the uh, the kind of reader, like the way that you read, affects the way that you write? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. Because I... obviously we've, we've spoken to quite a lot of authors at this stage and it, it seems to go hand in hand whenever you're talking to a writer or author, you know, asking them about their sort of reading habits. And we've had some people say that they they read a bit, but they just sort of get on with their writing. Some other people that read, you know, you were talking about 100 book targets, that kind of thing, mm. people that are going for quantity in order to absorb as much as they can. Um, but that, because it sounds like you have a very well-adjusted, nice way to absorb <laughs> a beautiful medium. Um, yeah, do you think that affects, I guess I guess that question boils down to, does what you read affect how you write? I mean, I think it's a really good question. Um, and I suppose, I suppose in my case, it's sort of true in that, um, I have a fair, like if, if I'm writing like these days when I'm writing a book, there are periods where I will write slightly faster or write more. And those are often are towards the end, you know, when I feel like I've got that momentum of the, the kind of the conclusion of the story and I want to get to the end of it. But that most of the time, actually it isn't like that. It's like kind of workmanlike, you know, you, you not very hurried, just kind of making my way through it each day. Um, so I suppose in that sense, my reading and my writing habits are are similar. And I think I was saying in the previous interview about you, you get a feel for things. You know, something feels right in terms of when am I ending this scene or when am I ending this chapter or, you know, have I done it? And I And I feel like to have that 
I can't rush too much. Um, I get you. So the, yeah, again, like a very measured kind of as and when you need to increase or decrease your pace to to achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah, nice. it feels like I, I know. So it must be very frustrating for people listening to continuously <laughs> refer back to what we spoke about last time. But that um, I mentioned well adjusted before. Like it seems like this is exactly what you should be doing. It's telling stories. You do it in your spare time with role playing, and you do it, you know, professionally and very successfully. And it's, yeah, it's it's, and it's really nice to see to hit, to hear about how it's just a quite a natural process for you, both so, to take it in and to put it out. Oh, thank you for saying that. I mean, I would say that I am very well well adjusted in terms of writing and creative things. Mm. That's probably the most well adjusted version of me. <laughs> When I'm doing those things, that's when I'm doing everything else. That's, that's surprising the neighbor's cat or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we're not getting back onto orifices again. <laughs> no, we're not. We're, we're not going there. I but can always be found on an orifice, my friends. I do. I mean, at the risk of being pretentious, I do think if and not, you know, a lot of people don't. You know, life just does not always give you the option for this kind of thing. But I think there is that thing about if you can find a thing, whether it's a hobby or a job that you that is fulfilling or is right that it's just a different experience and it is yeah. worth that, that there is just something again i guess kind of nourishing in it and that of course is different for lots of people you know I, there is people that find things incredibly fulfilling that i can't understand why they would why they would do it even if i'm grateful that they do so for example people who organize conventions um <laughs> you know i think it's I, I take my hat off to them and i think it's amazing and clearly they get something important out of it out of doing it but it is not something that, that it would just stress me out to death i think oh, um, having, having done organized international conferences before i can tell you i was getting paid for it was the reason that i was doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cold hard cash yeah yeah I needed cash to fund my habits <laughs> so you know you talk about it being a, a fulfilling you know that whole uh, you know find a job you love and you never work a day in your life Oh, I, don't, also, I didn't say that. I know you didn't, but that's that's the vibe. I, that's your live, laugh, love for this. Episode. Oh God, no! Don't. Oh yeah. no! You're gonna make one of those posters that people have on. Just a picture of your face. It says, "Hang in there," and you're you're hanging oh, a little vlog. No. I, I, so, for anyone listening, it is not that every day is a joy. In fact, if you've ever met me, you'll know that the truth of that. But it, it's more that. It, there is something about it that is nourishing and feels good when I've done it, even if the doing of it is extremely difficult or doesn't happen very, you know, very well every day. Um, but sorry, I just I feel I have to make that clear in case people really will throw things actually sharp objects at me. If I'm the person saying, just do what you love and you'll never work again. Um, so sorry, what was your I kind of buried so, your question. The, the there. Strange <laughs> thing I was driving towards is um so they've got it there's some people or there must be who are writing in a way that is i mean not cynical but writing because they know it sells and not necessarily because they enjoy the thing they're writing uh-huh do you think you could do it so things like airport romance novels which i'm sure some people love but do you think you could apply your your skill as a writer to that? So I think that 
I mean, yes, I could I could write something that I didn't love doing. And I would say as well, people who can write airport romance novels, I think do very well. Mm. And um, and hopefully, hopefully, if you're listening to this and you write airport romance, you do also love it. But I think that for some people, it is it is a job just like any other job. And if they're just very good at it, then then all fair play to them, really. I mean, as for me, if I'm writing stuff that I don't love writing, then there's a lot of other ways to get paid more money, you know, and, and so I would say that the incentive isn't there so much. Now, now, if you said to me, well, if you write this story that you hate, it's going to, you know, pay off your mortgage or whatever, then, then that would probably be a different thing. You know, I would endure that pain if I was to be disgustingly rich at the end of it. Mm. But, um, but yeah, if it was just do something you hate for not much money, then I think, oh, no, no thanks. I mean, I think that's fair outside of writing as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You do hear some absolute horror stories about the people that write those um, those airport romance books, the, you know, like writer farms and stuff where they... Yeah, lots of student or recent graduates. and Yeah, I, I, I did know someone who um, who was involved in that kind of thing and they'd They'd written something like, like twenty books or something in, in about ten years, maybe wow. it's probably, probably more than that actually, and it was just pumping words out it to a to a to a you know formula, mm-hmm. um, and their name was you know they don't get credited obviously because they they're they're getting yeah. paid by the hour and stuff and it's just it's taking this process that I think we've fairly accurately described as whilst not like easy even if you love it, it's still a really, it's a really special thing to be doing. Putting together. Rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and it takes that and turns it into something like horrible, like yeah. and stuff. And There's probably it, a good story in that. Probably. Yeah. Uh, I wonder whether I might go for it at a future episode. Call it the word factory or something. So we spoke last time about, uh, and we've mentioned it a couple of times about uh, our shared passion for role-playing games, tabletop. Role yes. Um, I think this is probably the last question. Um, you've done a lot of it. We've done a lot of it. Do you ever find that when you're running a game or even playing a character in a game that you do something or think of something that then goes into your novels? Is, is it like a proving ground ever for your for a particular bit of story or a characterization or character? That's really interesting. I mean, not so much these days, and that's mainly because... I do still run games now, but I run far fewer because the bit of my brain I use for thinking up game plots and running games is the same bit of my brain that I use for writing. Yeah. So I find it very hard to do the, the two things kind of together. Um, although I, I have done. Um, but but it is true that sometimes some ideas that um, I've had in role-playing games have ultimately made elements of them. Not like the whole thing wholesale, but bits I've taken and put into um, books. So funnily enough, in the Deathless trilogy, several of the the characters are named after characters in a role-playing game. Oh, what is it? Um, and the, in the Deathless, there are these different kind of like immortal noble houses that are all, all have crystal names. And that, that concept you know like house sapphire and house ruby and all those kind of things is taken in part from a game where that was the case 
but there's some but that's about where it ends but yeah there are some things that that kind of cross over i like that because i i feel for for myself um i felt like i cut my teeth on what people engage with about stories around the gaming table um at least when i'm telling them um so now I'm, I'm still very sort of early on in my sort of writer's journey if you want to be really wanky about it um we all like to be yeah. wanky about it yeah. we just pretend not to i so i'm gonna at the risk of me getting on my soapbox here it's okay i think you know we because we talked a bit again in in the in the old days we oh, talked how about how good it was how good it was indeed <laughs> but we talked about like different mediums for story as well yeah you know i was saying that the interesting thing about this podcast is although I'm writing a story. I'm writing a story to be listened to mm. rather than a story to be read. And that influences to some extent how I write it. And I think that the, whilst there is massive crossover between GMing and writing, and certainly the kind of the world building skills are really useful. You know, if you're coming to write a novel, particularly a secondary world one, and you're a GM, you've already got a lot of those things of uh, those kind of skills in place of how to build that world. Yeah. I would also say that it's such a different medium in other ways, right? That there's a sort, I don't know if this is something people talk about, but the kind of the pit traps of coming into writing after being in role-playing. So for example, if you're a player in a role-playing game and something tropey happens, that's fine mm. because yeah. you're in it. And you're having that experience. And for the players, that's that's immediately exciting. And you can indulge in scenes and sometimes this the comedy of where a character is played in in the performative sense will carry something. But that's actually really hard to translate into writing, I think. Um I think that's so very I th wise. I, I think I Well, would, you I would, know. I would, I, would, I would agree with that. Like it's uh Yeah, the it, the, the gaming table covers all manner of uh, storytelling sins, I guess, because it's so immersive and so powerful to be in the moment. Yeah. And quite cathartic to have that ridiculous story beat. You know, true hero's journey stuff and real soap opera moments happen in your game because it's really cool to see that iconic thing happening mm. to characters that you've learned to love or hate or, you know, sometimes should be completely indifferent to, but they are in your world. It is nice to see those sort of inevitable arcs play out and to see the, the classic downfall, to see people succumb to their own hubris. That's things that in a book you'd be like, yeah, I saw that coming a mile off. Yeah. It's great watching that pay out like painfully in real time. So yeah, it's, I think it's a very different storytelling medium and you can get away with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I think there's a lot of advantages to it, but yeah, it's it's something to be kind of, that I think is tricky. It's a bit like um, that kind of, as Yoda would say, you know, unlearn what you have learned. There's a, there's a that I, I think certainly when I was starting out, that it was a boon and a curse to have come from a role playing background uh, in terms of writing. Um, but uh, but it is a it is a time honored tradition, you know. And we were talking about kind of writers from another era, and actually a lot of writers in those in that time. You know, back at the kind of the, the, I don't know, the sort of the the generation, I suppose, before mine, mm. 
they were all role playing together, <laughs> and, yeah. and a lot of their a lot of their stories came out of role playing games as well. So I, I do think there is a, a time on the tradition of it. Yeah, there there is something special about finding someone from that generation, and you mentioned that you're going to do some role playing or something. And their, you know, their eyes light up thinking about like, uh, like chainmail or early D and D or whatever, like the the experiences that they had. Mm. Um, it's a yeah, it's a very special thing. But uh, I, I think we originally came onto this um, in the in the fantastic first time recording. Oh, oh so, so good, uh, so, so good. good, so good, so good. Uh, because we were talking about uh, wild cards. I think it was that was one of the ways that we got into mm. it. Because that partially came from, I think a group of role players that included George Martin. Mm-hmm. And you have, of course, written uh, uh, as part of the collections for it. I have. I have indeed. Um, and I think I was was talking about uh, Knaves Over Queens and Three Kings as the books that I've written part of. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things about... Well, I think World Cards is pretty unique. And one of the things that's pretty unique about it is it's kind of partly collaborative storytelling. So you get a bunch of authors together. So sometimes they're just telling stories in a shared world, but sometimes they'll do mosaic novels where you'll have a group of authors come together and tell the same story where they'll each have different characters that they will be say telling scenes from those characters POVs, but all collaborating of course, because the characters pop up in each other's scenes and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, And it is a great, it's a really fun experience. And the other interesting, we were talking earlier in this interview. Oh, that's unusual, isn't it? But we were talking earlier in this interview about romance novels. And one of the things that's fun about superheroes as a genre is you can play with lots of other genres within it very easily. Yeah. So there's a, a set of stories, a World Cards book, I should say, coming out soon called Pairing Up, um, which is a bunch of superhero romance novels, not novels romance stories and um yeah and i got to create a character and write a story in that uh and i co-wrote it with uh, gwenda bond who's pretty fabulous um and knows a lot more about romance writing than i do and that was that was really fun to sort of play with those tropes but also play with all the normal superhero things as well that sounds so cool it sounds like such an exciting process as well as a very cool end product right so we know that you've uh, contributed to uh, Wildcards and people can get those or they can, I, I would guess, pre-order the one that's coming out soon. Um, but it's sort of not your main, it's not your bread and butter really, is it? Um, in terms of uh, what you've already put out there, Peter. Yes. You've got two big trilogies that people can sink their teeth into. Yeah. And if you're one of those people that doesn't like to buy anything until it's finished, I've got good news for you. <laughs> They're both finished trilogies. That's so cool. hooray. Um, yeah, so the the first trilogy that I wrote is called The Vagrant, uh, or The Vagrant Trilogy, and um, the second one is called The Deathless Trilogy. And they're all completely available and everything. And I know that um, Nico's a big fan of uh, The Vagrant. That was, I am. That, was, that was where this whole thing started, Peter. We were talking, we were oh. looking at our bookshelves, and we're talking about people that we'd love to talk to. And uh, yours is one of the first names that uh, Nico came out with from oh. his bookshop. I said, sure, I'll embarrass myself in front of someone who's writing. I like this. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? It's not like we're going to lose a whole afternoon that they gave us and, <laughs> you know, possibly burn that bridge forever. Why not? 
Well, you know, the, the Vagrant is a book about someone who has a really tough time all the time and is always kind of struggling to get uphill. So it's it's thematically appropriate. So is you promising to cut my tongue out? Because I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the most low-key British threat ever. <laughs> that's what we're all about. Right, so everyone that's listening, please do check out Peter's books. You've seen this, uh, well, you've heard his storytelling. And... It's. Uh, I think it's really clear that there's a there's a really excellent creative mind at work behind everything that he's doing. So please do go and buy them, and we'll be putting links out and all that stuff. But uh, this is a bit of an odd one. This one because we have had to re-record it as we've mentioned multiple times, and you know that last recording which was so good. Oh, so oh, good, so good, so good is lost the time. But it's uh, just want to reiterate that it's incredibly kind of you to come back on, Peter, and. Oh. Uh, it's uh, excellent that we've got to hear your story for a second time um, mm. and uh, talk through your thoughts on what well, quite a few subjects now, which is wicked. Mm. Always so, yeah. happy to talk. Yeah, well, there we go. We're perfect. We're perfect uh, in that case, we'll delete this one, Ben, and we'll just do yeah. this again. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just yes. delete it. Like, yeah, like, you can... Even more so good. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to see what would happen if you did that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'd go insane. I think it would actually stop. I think we... <laughs> It would be such a problem. Don't worry, right. Peter. I'm going to send Ben a message that said it's it hasn't worked, even when it's when I've got it. Yeah, no, I, I think it'd be really funny, particularly when I cry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Prepare to be gaslit, boys. Oh yeah, I love being gaslit. It's, it's going to be like being in my late teens again. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh right, I think well, I think we'll end there. <laughs> you, I mean, you can't top that. That's that's yeah. going to be your ending point. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?